So, Adriana, thank you so much for coming on the Hustling With Houses podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm brilliant, thank you. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I know we've been trying to sort it for a little while. No, so, I'm happy to be here. Oh, brilliant. So for people who don't know you then, Adriana, who are you and, and, and how did you get started in, in property? So, Adriana, um, I am based in the northeast. Starting property about two years ago now. Well, this is the third year in property now. Um, so started out deal sourcing, um, project like that, went to rent, kind of working my up. Didn't really come from any property background. Um, did the traditional route of going to university, do my degree that way. Kind of thing. Yeah, I'm going to go into the corporate world. Um, but kind of always knew that entrepreneurship was was where I needed to be ultimately. So kind of out of graduating uni, um, this sort of led me on to my property journey. So I started, I my, my, I finished uni basically as lockdown was happening. So the kind of like last few months, which should have been all fun and getting, um, was lockdown, which I guess was kind of a blessing. Um, really, really had to start thinking about what, what I wanted to do because I was doing a law degree, but I already kind of knew at that point, this is not 100% where I want to be, what I want to be doing. Um, so then I had to start thinking about how the box looks at starting fitness bands because that's something I've always really been into. Um, but hadn't quite materialized it. So about two weeks before I kind of finished my last exam, handed it in. Um, I saw, do you remember the trend of all this customizing shoes that was happening? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Jordan, uh, something like that. So I started doing that. Well, I saw a pair of mine. I thought, oh, that looks cool. I might do them for myself and see what happens. I'm not artistic, but I'm quite creative. So I did a pair. Literally took a picture and put it on my personal Instagram story. And then I had about four or five people messaging me, like, oh, can I have a pair? Can I have a pair? I was like, oh, this might be something of nothing. So took a few orders in, like, yeah, cool. And... Um, and then by the time I'd actually handed in my final uni um, exam and graduated, I maybe had about three, four hundred pounds of profit because I was making about a hundred pound profit margin on a shoe, um, maybe a little bit more. So I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm kind of like doing myself with the money coming in, etc. happy days. So I did that, um, then made an Instagram page for that, which kind of then took off pretty well as well. So within about probably doing it for about eight months in total. Managed to make about 15 grand of it. Wow. So I was like, yeah, no, it, so it did really well. So I thought, okay, cool. I've got a bit of money now. What do I do? Um, during the time of that, I kind of worked, but I've probably worked for someone else for maybe about three months time frame max. Um, in kind of all my years, I've thought I've done a lot, lot for myself. Um, so I was doing that and then realised... Well, a new property was always kind of where I wanted to go, but obviously not really having any capital, not having an in of the model in property to go with. Um, at this point, I thought, had this money, and I'm like, right, do I go and buy a rundown house and live in it? With my £15,000, and that was all I had. Do I go and live in that? Never really, not really got great credit, anything like that. They kind of didn't really process it. Luckily, very quickly realised, I don't really know what I'm doing here. 
So instead, I took that money and put it into mentorship in property. Um, and I kind of said to myself, this is, this is everything that you've got. So you either absolutely make it work or, well, there's no, there's no plan B, basically. I didn't give myself a plan B, right? You've got to make it work. You've got to make it happen. Um, and that's sort of where I then ended up. So I was back in my overdraft. I'd moved back home with my mum and dad. Um, after kind of being a girl out of uni that's got all this savings to kind of go wild with. Risked it all. Um, obviously I'm young, so my risks aren't major, but moved back home and started the property journey. Then went down the sourcing route. It took me quite a while to kind of make things happen. I mean, you know how it is at the start of well, like, you know, first sort of the knowledge, but in the trust. And then, yeah, here we are. <laughs> Two years later, um, doing a lot of development, HMO conversions and things like that. That's incredible. So obviously it was a good decision then, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%, 100% decision. It's a, scary, it's a scary decision at the time. And, and I, was, I was saying this with someone yesterday. It's like sometimes, like you obviously, you have to pay for the education and it was, it was worth it. But sometimes you kind of fight better with your back on the ropes, don't you? If, if you've all that pressure's there, you've, you, like you said, you've spent the money, you're back to zero. It's, it's got to work now. There's no way it, it can't work sort of thing. So I know you said, I didn't realise you were based in the Northeast. So I know that's where you sort of invest. I was going to ask why, and I thought it may be because it's cheap, but maybe it's because it's yeah. cheap. There's that right? Or So, yeah, well, so originally I'm from near Manchester. Okay. I came to uni up here. I studied in Newcastle, which means I've kind of seen the city. So what was that maybe until like six, seven years ago, roughly? So I've seen the city, what happened in the last sort of seven years. I mean, where I live now, when I first started uni, it was completely, it wasn't residential at all. You know, it was very, very labour area. This used to be an old, an old timber yard. The, where, where I'm living now, so the, the development here is just crazy. And yes, prices are amazing, but there's so much cross potential. There's so much major investment going into the area. Um, and it, yeah, it worked, it worked really well for the strategy. So I moved back up here to the kind of focus on the BRR route and the HMO convergence as well. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So what is your, what is your sort of primary focus now in strategy? What strategy are you sort of doing? Is it, is it sort of HMOs and, Single letter, what, what is it you sort of doing now in Newcastle? Yeah, so the main the main strategy is HMO conversion. So this is a lot of client conversion. So taking, let's say, a sort of four-bed residential house and then converting it into a minimum sort of six-bed or three HMO. That's what we do a lot of. Um, we've got a really, really good team around us in terms of brokers, surveyors, architects to kind of bring all that together. Um that's the main bag doing a couple sort of smaller BRR conversions um, flat and they will go on a single let as well um, but obviously max. what I always want to do is maximise my cash flow as much as possible so for example um, you know yes the flats are going to be a normal single let but it's two single lets so double the rent Um and obviously HMO is on a room by room basis. So the, the aim is obviously to always get as much cash flow out of the property as we can. Of course, our values here are really good as the good, but they're not, you know, the, the, you're not touching London rates or nowhere near that. So the cash flow is also really important. Yeah, most definitely. And, and how have you found, did you, did you sort of go, 
straight into HMOs or did you dabble you dabble into single lets and stuff like that first or was it straight to HMOs? Do you know what I didn't? I went straight into HMO. Though I was dead in training, um, had a good build team up here who was already doing HMO conversions. Um I think that that and it's it kind of always been my strategy. So sort of when I first started out it was looking at original BRRs, but my first kind of BRR deal was that that went to a client was a HMO project. <clears throat> so went straight to the deep end. I think in terms of regulations, actually it's not when we're going for the permit development, especially, um, it's not it's not that different. You know, as long as we kind of meet our boxes, tick our boxes, it's better profits, better money. It makes more sense to go down that route. Yeah, most definitely. I wish I, I wish I realised that earlier. To be honest, I wish I realised it would have been a better route for me to go down. Just I start the same sort of time as you, and when the at that time the rates were quite low, weren't they? So you kind yeah. of I was saying this to someone again yet the other day that you, you kind of didn't really think about them too much because they were so low. But I kind of wish I went into the, the HMO market now earlier. I am going into that market now. But I noticed you've done sort of properties with grandfather rights and stuff like that. Is that much difference? Is it, is it, is it easier? Is it harder? What, what? So as long as you've got all the paperwork, then it's all right. So, you know, as long as you can prove that that property, um, it's 10 years, I believe. I mean, I was in the HMO for 30 years. So yeah. it's cool, we're already there. But of course, they're, they are the only properties within the Article 4 area that we can talk, mm. that we can touch and that we can actually do work to. And um, so essentially that's obviously where the council put in a planning regulation in an area of no more HMOs can be built here without going through planning. Now, normally for all, um, anything of a six bed is six bed and under is permitted development. If we're outside of a Article 4 or a conservation area, which means all we have to do is apply for a license. So obviously where that then gets removed, the properties in the area are going to shoot up in value yeah. because if you've already got a license in there, you know there's no more competition coming to the area. The competition is already there. So what we start like usually is buying a rundown property that's been a HMO yeah. for, for the right amount of time within that area. That all we then have to do is go in and renovate that project. It means we can, you know, really shoot rates, shoot valuation, but that's true as well. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of my friends do that in, in like the Liverpool, Kensington mm-hmm. area. It's, it's, it's yeah. little HMOs. Hundreds minutes, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And a lot of them do that. And it's a strategy in itself, isn't it? Because like you say, there's no competition. There's obviously a bit of competition, but there's a lot less competition there than your standard sort of three bed, four bed semi that you turn into a five, mm-hmm. six bed. Um, so it looks like from the outside looking in, is there less to do on the, on the ones with grandfather rights or, or not, or not really? Um, not necessarily, no, because for example, the one that we've taken on now, it's a wreck. Yeah. But the way that licensing is, you get license kind of after five years, et cetera. And once you've got it, they're not always on top. So where we're going in, we're still doing a full scale research. Everything's single glazed at the minute. It's all double glazing going in. All new fire alarm systems. On the larger project, and um, on an eight bed, we're having to put in smoke chambers and things like that. Because when that was initially licensed, that wasn't really relevant. However, now, because it's already live, because it's already been there, it's already been a HMO. As long as we're not making it worse, technically it's okay. However, we're always going to stress test everything. We're going to, the, the renovation that we're doing to this property is exactly what we would do to one outside of Article 4, that we are converting so that we know no matter what, 
it's within regulation. It's always going to stand up. So we're still we're still putting in sort of hefty research of 80, 90 grand on the property. Um, so not necessarily. If anything, it's harder because, you know, building control there and um, laughing down really, really on it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> one thing I would like to ask, like being a property sort of developer is one thing, but understanding planning and regulation and stuff like that is it is it is a whole other kettle of fish how have you found that is that something you've learned along obviously you've learned in your mentorship but have you learned a lot along the way yeah i would say more so than anything it's learning things along the way um kind of as you do and you know sometimes you'll come up against something and you'll think oh what's that <laughs> that no so um what 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 we found is really really good is obviously having the power team around and so architects you know let's get familiar with an area with our architect what does it look like what can we do what can't we do and then you can kind of rinse and repeat so i mean for example now we are dealing with uh, eight bed conversion eight bed hmo conversion now you might think okay getting it through plan is the hardest part which it was it was difficult however <laughs> building control um in hindsight probably should have used a private company However, um, we, we've gone through the council on this one. So what the plans have been passed with, what the plans have building control have then said, nah, we're not happy with that. We need this, we need this. And you treat the tailor lock to get them to, okay, so they said they want X, Y, and Z. We're putting X, Y, and Z on the plan. And then we're chasing them again to get a response. So everything's just more delayed because you've got to take off from so many other boxes. Everything's more and more and more and more delayed and things take longer. So you can almost get gridlock because what I don't want to do is do something thinking, oh, I know it's right anyway, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if, if you annoy your building control officer, he's got the right to come back at you 10 times harder. So you've just got to learn how to play the field a bit and, you know, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll wait. Yeah, I'll be there. No problem. But it's finding that balance between I need to get a job done I need to build, but also I really can't, I, I can't go against, or no, I, I can't annoy my building instructor by going without it. So I run into juggling act, um, and we found that planning, licensing, and regs don't all really like to communicate with each other, which, um, again, delays the job, or, well, delays things, you know, has, has an impact on things as well. So it, it, now we've got to a point where because because there's so many going on and because we're doing so many, it's very, very clear on the front end that exactly what we need to do to make that job go completely seamlessly. But exactly, it's, it, it, you learn on the job, trial and error, um, as much as you can. Yeah, and that's it. Like you said, you hit the nail on the head. You don't really want to be pissing off the uh, the officer. If you're like in our area, there's only, I don't know if it's the same with most areas, only maybe one or two in, in the area. Yeah. yeah. It, if, you, if you piss one off, then... You kind of um, you've got one left, haven't you? So, but hundred percent. But one thing I would like to ask as well with the eight beds, because obviously that's that's a place where a lot of people would like to go um, for the eight bed HMOs. How do you sort of minimise risk when it comes to that? Because that is obviously planning. Is there, is there any ways that you would suggest them to minimise risk? Because that, like you've just mentioned, a lot of people would be worried about the planning side rather than getting it developed and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. So what? What I always do on, on a build is either there's two options. Firstly, I will always try and get it secured subject to planning. Yeah. So 
speak with your tech, do we think we're likely to get planned on this? Obviously, it's only the gamble. Um, speak with the architect, make sure the architect does the drawings that are within range that are going to be presented. The first thing is power team. But then actually get it secured, subject to planning. So on the eight bed that we're doing now, that's not been an eight bed before, obviously have to go through planning. So we managed to secure that in look. We're going to take it. We're going to give you this amount, but we need it subject to planning permission. They agreed it, they signed it off, and therefore everybody waiting it together for the sale. Um, that obviously minimizes your risk because if you don't get it, you're not contracted to buy. Now, if let's say, for example, you were going down an auction, I managed to do that again, really, really clever. So auctions, you have to pay the upfront to secure a property. So we got one that we wanted to turn into a 10 by 8 firm. Now, what again I managed to do with the auction house was get it secure because it didn't sell at the first auction. I said, look, we're interested, we want it, we'll pay the reservation fee. But if for any reason we don't get planning on that property, then you have to refund the our commitment fee and the sale doesn't go through. So again, it's about working with the auction house and not being afraid to sort of put your ideas out there about what you actually make the deal work for you. Um, in the end on that one, we didn't get planning, but the investors still wanted to proceed with it on a six bed because that was permitted development. So again, it had an option, which kind of leads me to the second way that we go about things is, let's say we're talking with a property, or it can be a six bed, or it can be a seven or eight bed. The six and the seven is the differentiation between it's permitted development or I need planning permission on the property. So what we would do there is we'd make sure that the numbers work on a six. And then going into the deal, we know, okay, look, we're going to go in, we're going to, we're going to do it on the basis that if we get a stick, this is the offer, the numbers work. If we get a seven bone, happy day, let's put that into the property. And again, that kind of mitigates your risk. Um, but what I would always say to people is whatever your bill's cost is on a stick bed, don't just expect to add an extra room because there's so much more that goes into it. Um, for example, sound testing, um, massive, massive cost. Mm. insulation, fireboarding, you have to put fireboard everywhere. There's so many different regs between a six, provided you know, you, you're under the mid-development, and a seven. Um, so really important as well to kind of factor that confidence on the front end as well. Yeah, there's some brilliant tips, really, really insightful. Mm. And like you say, it's, yeah, HMOs, a lot of people think you can just, just sort of get into them, but there's a lot of, a lot of work and information you need to know before before you go into them but one thing i would like to say as well i know you've got a lot of investors on board which is amazing it's incredible how have you sort of attracted investors i think one of the biggest things is but a actually you know being out there and doing things now i know at the start that's not always possible because you have to have investors on board to make things happen and um, i think if you if you're going into the sorting route or bringing investors on board and you've got capital there to start yourself. You can leverage off of your own experience. Then look, I've just done this project myself. This is what I've done. Cool. Do you want to be involved? It's easy. Whereas when you're starting out from fresh and you haven't got the capital kind of like I did, the only other option from there is to get as many people as you can to know who you are and what you do. So that means throwing yourself in uncomfortable situations. That means talking. That means posting on your social media, telling people what you do. And I think that because it gives you an element of exposure and an element of obviously credibility that's the best way to kind of get someone on board um yeah so i, I did that at the start and then things like going on the addiction you know and, and really just 
exposing myself to people of this is who I am, this is what I do, um, and then that kind of builds your trust. And then also be active in finding deals and make sure your numbers are what your numbers are. Yeah. How was the eviction, by the way? How was it for you? Do you know what? It was, uh, it was amazing. It was difficult and it pushed me massively out of sort of where I was. Um, and it taught me a lot, but it was absolutely fantastic. It kind of, um, we were working like crazy, crazy hours, but I met some incredible people and in there, a friendship that I'll have for life, people that I want to do business with. Um, but also internally, it, it seriously gave me a way for call to be like, this is not easy. So if you want to do it, you kind of got to give everything. Um, I think when the challenge where I did the public speaking was probably my favourite, that I would just walked out of that and was like, okay, yeah, you, you know, you enjoy that route as well and you, you can take that route. Um, so I think doing that sort of combined with all the pressure of everything else. Um, what after I left, I was seriously deflated. Um, because having someone come in every day saying you've got 24 hours to make as much money as you can or you've got 24 hours to find a property in this area that's going to return this and it's going to beat the other team's numbers. You're just like constantly on high alert. Um, and it was really, really nice to kind of push yourself. Like when you work for yourself, you are responsible for pushing yourself. Um, and it gave me a completely different shift of how hard I had to be working in order to compete in the industry. Yeah, that's what I was going to say then. I could imagine it giving you a, a different mind, mindset shift because mm-hmm. when the pressure's there and the time's there, it, it, you reach things that you didn't know you were capable of, don't you? Yeah, you, you're pulling like knowledge out of like, oh, like that's where that was stored. And like you're thinking of like really creative things that maybe sometimes when you're just at home looking at a normal deal, you might not think of. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was really good. That was one thing I was going to touch on as well. Your public speaking, you, you're an amazing speaker, by the way. You're really good. I don't know. Have you have you trained for that? Or are you just natu- naturally good at it? So I think really it kind of got founded into when I was growing up, my parents have got a restaurant, meaning I've always worked in there from being about 13 years old. So I've always communicated with people and having been the boss's daughter, we constantly getting introduced to people, people who are older than you, people are doing X, Y, and Z, and so you're constantly having to communicate. Um, and I do, I, I really enjoy it, probably because I've done it from so young, and my parents are very, my dad's Italian, but they're very, like, charismatic, which I think could kind of help to bring all that together. Um, so when I did my first kind of real public speaking, there hadn't been any training, and then after that, I tried to do, like, a little bit of fine-tuning, and just, like, what I always say the best thing to do is, is when you're going up on a not over plan. And if it's like you're going to do a talk, give yourself sort of like three key points that you want to touch on, mm. but just three points that you know about. And it, when you're up there talking, you're not talking about them and you don't know you're there talking about them and that's relevant to you. So if you over plan, you, you kind of going to make a mess of it. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's kind of how it, how it started. And then the other thing is, I don't think about going up on stage until I get up on stage. And then I kind of look out and I'm like, oh, here we go again. Something I want to learn to do this year. I couldn't imagine myself doing it, really. But I'm, I want to try and put myself out there a bit more this year and, and seeing what you've done is inspiring, really. And that's another thing I'd, I'd like to touch on as well. You, your social media, absolutely fine with that. That's another thing that's inspiring. You've you've absolutely nailed it. You've absolutely I nailed it. How, how has it been for you, sort of, again, same similar question, 
how's it been for you sort of growing a personal brand? Does it come quite natural to you to be in, on camera and stuff like that? Uh, it didn't at the start. It didn't at the start. Again, it's like everything, you know, it takes time. You're not mm. just going to become amazing at something overnight and that every single time, the, me and my content create every time we've got a meet up, you know, we've got a plan of what we want to do and it, it gets the way I'm speaking and communicating, I guess, gets better each time because you gain more confident. But also it helps because there's so much kind of going on in terms of the project. It's almost like a day in the life, like I'm walking around, I'm like, oh, this is what we're doing here. And this is what we're doing here. This is what's happening here. So it, I'm not almost like trying to pull things that aren't there, if you know what I mean. So I guess it makes it easier to kind of communicate it. Um, but yeah, the social media recently, it's been kind of wild. Like I've just been such a, such a spike and such a growth. So I think being the consistent, because we was posting every single day was amazing. And then, you know, the hooks that um, Scott was kind of putting on the videos as well, it, it kind of lures people in. Um, and then, you know, when, when they can see that there's that kind of credibility there of, oh, look, having a different sites we're on, look at what we're dealing with, it's fine dead. And, you know, the people that we're meeting and speaking with all kind of solidifies the brand, which I guess, nah, because it's organically grown and it, it's just kind of naturally happened, I guess I haven't really felt the pressure of it as such. Yeah. Sometimes I do kind of check in and I'm like, oh, so that's, that's just there we are now. It's, it's, it's a cliche, but like documenting your journey, that's what I think you've really perfected because it seems so natural. And I was looking down your, looking down your profile and I seen, it was like November and you had like 5,000 followers. Now you're on like 17 or something silly. It, you, your growth is incredible on it, but well-deserved. And like you say, consistency Thank pays you. off. Um, do you think with social media, it's quality or quantity? Both. Yeah. Both. The thing is, with social media, you've bombarded every second of the day with short form content from somebody saying, this is the right way to do things, or this is the right way to do things, or this is what I'm doing, and constantly bombarded with it. So I think ultimately, yes, yeah, if you want to be remembered, you have to be posting. People need to be seeing your name. But if you're just out there spurting a lot of rubbish, people will, will see through that, I guess. Don't. So, what what I've done with mine is I've never ever ever proclaimed myself as sort of a guru or the, you know unless you do if you do then cool but the way I always say it I mean I get plenty of people asking me for mentorship and things like that etc from the back of it but I'm not there yet yes I've done a lot and yes I know a lot and yes I'll happily have a conversation with you but I haven't been through everything so I absolutely wouldn't then put that onto someone else so I just think it's really important that you know if you're portraying yourself transparently on social media and you're kind of being clear, this is what I'm doing, this is what's going on here, people build that trust, so consistency and quality, yes, are the most important thing. Definitely, and that's very self-aware of you because there's people who are in a lot, I've done a lot less than you and are offering sort of mentorship and stuff like that, so, you know, congratulations for feeling like, yeah, just well, yeah. well done, you've done really well, but one thing... Um, one thing I've really struggled with is put, putting myself out there. So I've started posting a little bit about myself and me, but I think that's that's where the growth lies, isn't it? When you when you're actually behind the camera and people can see you for you and stuff like that. That's what, that's that's where I think the growth lies. Is, would you say that or? Yeah, I, th- I think it being able to put a face to a name is so important um, because again, it builds that trust. You know, if you, if you kind of always you know, behind a logo and. 
yes, the content's great, but if someone hasn't got a face to resonate with, I mean, for me, I'm a, I'm a salesperson. I'm quite dyslexic, so names and things like that as well aren't always my stories to easy remember. If I see a face and I know a face, then I'll resonate with them. I'm more inclined to be like, yeah, I'm behind that. I back this. I go with you kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think, I think it comes down to the fact again of there's so many people at like, this property facing physics. You know, I mean? there's a lot of people investing in property. There's a lot, there's a lot of people social, put it on social media that they're investing in property. So you've got to, you've got to have a face to kind of back what you're saying because as much as there's a lot of good out there, Exactly, like I was saying before, there's a lot of rubbish. There's a, there's a lot of things that aren't very true. Um, so having your say gives you that credibility, doesn't it? Because they're, oh, well, I'm actually putting my say to what I'm saying here. So there's got to be an element of, of, of truth there. Most definitely. And when I did start posting myself, um, I don't know if you can me- measure engagements, like success yeah. by engagement, like that, but yeah. the engagement was sort of through the roof rather than, you know, it, it was yeah. much- usual so i need to start doing it it's just a mindset it's something i'm going to do more of this year most definitely but you should show me some of your site we'll have to we'll 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 do a giant a giant content there yeah most definitely that's one thing i am going to start this year as well like i'm going to start a bit of a youtube channel and and go into people's sites going onto my sites stuff like that so that'll be good to record it we'll definitely do it and i've never been to newcastle as well oh it's a great laugh newcastle is brilliant I believe yeah. it is. I believe it is. No, but it, 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 yeah. one thing I did want to ask Adrian as well. I know you've dealt with, which which scares me a little bit. Is is um, listed buildings? How, how was it dealing with listed buildings? Because that's another kettle of fish, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> it's hard work. In full full transparency, though, the listed building that I was dealing with, um, it was a lease option. We were so close to getting it over the line, like. I've spent thousands of solicitors, brokers, planning, and things like that. And unfortunately, um, the landlord pulled out at the very last minute. His, his solicitor didn't quite understand the option. So the more we were getting into it, he was just kind of confused. So I never actually fully went through um, an actual listed building development. However, I had to do all the work on the front end. Yeah. It's not easy. Um, essentially, what you have to make sure is that a your planning consultant understands a list of building development. So, for example, it's not just that you need to do the plans on the property. We need to think about okay, well, what materials are we going to use? Are we changing the windows? Okay, we need to then put in a planner for this um, to change the windows. But what windows do they need to be? Do they need to be replicas? What's that going to cost um, inside of the property? Normally, we drop all our ceilings. On a list, and because we run all our on tweet pipes through a couple months to the net, we drop all the ceilings. Well, you shouldn't really be putting holes in the ceilings there because they're listed. So how are we going to do that? And then, you know, which building in, in the property, which, which rooms in the property are actually listed? So for ours, it was all the front of the property, which then was impacting what we could do in different places. And then the kind of scariest thing on top of that is that your builder, you're responsible for, but if your builder does something that is against what you're permitted to do in a listed building, it's criminal offence. So, so you're dealing with that major, major stress. And do you know what? I'm probably glad now that I didn't necessarily take on because I've been through so many more developments since that I feel more confident. But that almost it was quite quite early on, and I think the pressure would have been 
because it was also parallel tender. So the threshold <laughs> would have been like, I needed to be making a million pounds off that bill to be worth the struggle. <laughs> That's it. Deve- developing a HMO, stressful enough, developing a list of building into a HMO. Jesus Christ, that's some name. That's I was some asking for uh, a lot of trouble, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one thing you have really got nailed down, I think, from the outside looking in is like your power team. Have you like, you've really got a good team around you. Mm-hmm. How was that to develop? Because I, I, I've really struggled to get the right build team in place to write. I'm still, I'm still, you know, trying to find a, a good solicitor. I think I've found one now, but yeah. it's hard to get that team around you that are all, all good. There's always tweaking, of course, because you do a couple of builds and then one builder falls yeah. off. Not very yeah. good. How have you sort of developed that to a point where you, you're sort of happy with? Is it just trial and error? I guess, yeah, tra- trial and error has been massive. So because there's, I guess one of the benefits is because there's been so many client projects, We've had to be constantly expanding. I think if you kind of go in with one team and you've got happy with that, then you, you replicate them onto each job, even if it's not exactly right, because you know that you've got someone there. Whereas because there's been so many projects I'm going, at the minute there's three different build, three, four different build teams working on job. So that, you know, you, you're constantly testing everybody and seeing what everybody can do. So yes, trial and error. Um, but, you know, now we've got really, really solid team who are doing the job and it takes the pressure off myself at the minute because you just have to go around and check them on the side to make sure things are needed where they needed to be. But ultimately, if you can trust your builder, it, it makes life easier. So build teams is, yes, trial and error, but it's also like word of mouth recommendation. I'm ever working with somebody and I've seen the work or someone else has used them and I've seen what they've done and it, it come that way and, like, you know, my... One of my builders, Michael, um, you know, we worked really close on a lot of projects. So he actually came to me that I met a broker on a networking event. And then the broker rang me, um, a couple months later, like, Oh, I know your thoughts. I know you're in the year. I had a client who was going through the project. Would it take him too long? Um, on the finance side, he's not really that keen anymore. Do you want to have a call? So I ended up having a call with Michael. And since then we've literally worked together on so many projects because, you know, you get on. You realise that they know what they're doing, you know what you're doing, you're both really, really hungry. And naturally, we've just then got, right, let's scale this. Um, and then um, we've been like, yeah, let, let's scale that. And then again, the same thing with obviously brokers. Um, we have a really, really good team of brokers that we work with, um, CPC. They're fantastic. Um, finding people who specialise in your niche of what you want as well. Um yeah, that's been massive. And then clustered again. Um, that's been really, really good. Though so the last project, I mean, well, I say really good. It's been, because obviously we're doing a lot of client projects as well. A lot of people have their own clusters. So I'm trialing out. I'm, I'm obviously following their completion through. And I'm seeing, you know, this is what they're doing here. They've got the new man. This completion's taking months. Why is it not working? Um, so I've been able to pretty quickly trial and error. So the last one, which was my project, the last completion that we had, was a 14 day completion. Wow. From, yeah, so it was from secure date, end of November, 8th of November, and the 30th of December, I had the keys. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it was only, obviously it helped, it was auction, but Still, yeah. she, she's, she's quick and, and, and she works fast, which is really, really great. 
Yeah. I think one thing with solicitors is, and builders, to be fair, yeah, and builders, to be fair, is is showing that you can complete, you can, you can, yeah. for the build, you can, make, you can make it happen. Same with the solicitors. You can yeah. give them work. Because if they think you're just buying one every, they're not, they're not too off. They've probably got people doing bigger things. Well, exactly. But obviously you're doing that. You're giving them a lot of work and, and that's obviously why you've built such a great team around you. One thing I did want to ask was there, um, have you took anyone from your sort of first project up until now? Are you still using from anyone from your yeah. first project? Yeah. So the builder that we use on our first project, um, he's still doing a lot of jobs. He's doing a lot of projects, so he's great. Um, his team, reliable, good, you know, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off. So yeah, we're still using him. Um, I think we've changed kind of, yeah, solicitors and things like that. But but yeah, so you, and the builders, you, you can't make it work without a good builder. So. That's it. Do you, do you manage the project yourself or do you get a PM in or? No, so it's all managed in house. So yeah, yeah it, it's busy, but it, it's, it's just a case of, you know, we spend whatever days of the week when you so plan and go around, which is, so the company itself is very focused on obviously sourcing and project management, but it kind of goes in stages. So, Solve quite heavily, and then obviously wait for the that they they'll sort of match up on when they're going to complete, which means obviously project management kicks in plus when you get it then. Sourcing heavily and project management because only the first bit of the build is where you need kind of an iron out, and it's on time consuming. And then once kind of picking over, it becomes slightly <laughs> more hands off, meaning that you know you can then go back and do a lot more of the sourcing aspect again as well. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's, yeah, congratulations to you. What you've done in such a short period of time is, is unbelievable and it's amazing. So, yeah. honestly, congratulations. Even, yeah, and the project, you've got like a whole, could you just, for anyone that doesn't know, could you just explain the services that you, you actually offer? Because you've got a lot going on, haven't you, under your sort of umbrella, if you like? Yeah, there is. So, in terms of like how, how you can work with us, so we offer a full kind of A to Z, one stop shop property investing service. So, if you're looking to grow a portfolio, come to myself and source the project for you. Project manager the renovation, give you access to our power team as much as brokers, everybody else, and then get the property staged and then rent it out with one of our partners. So basically the full portfolio server to be able to then grow and scale a portfolio. And what we do with a lot of clients is, hey, look, this is the capital that you are now. This is what you can put in. It's what we can get out within X amount of years. This is where your portfolio can be. Um, so that's a really, really good way if you kind of want in the hands-off investment. Um, everything there is become kind of passive for the client. And then another service that we offer is, um, joint venture, joint venture partnership and six return. So if you're looking to work with us on one of our projects, you can be involved as a joint venture partner. So this would kind of mean, you know, we, we do everything in house there. There's those the project. We do the build on the project. You're essentially just a funding element. Your funding comes back to you, and then obviously the profit share on the property. Um, and then, of course, the fixed return, which we kind of do with sort of men learn So you invest with us. You get then a guaranteed fixed return, which is no risk because it's a guaranteed return on your investment. And then we kind of coach you through, this is how we do what we do. This is why we're doing this for the property. This is where we're going to refinance. This is what you need to consider. Um, and again... That's another way of working with kind of learning out how to build your own portfolio and networking with other investors who are working with us. So kind of a nice way of doing it because let's say you come in with 50K, someone else comes in with 50K, 
you guys then, you know, meet on site or, or on the call and you say, oh, you know what? We've both got 100k plus our returns. I know we've got 120k or whatever it is. Let's do a project together because you know what to do. So I guess that's kind of an ad way um, of helping other people build out a portfolio as well. Yeah, most definitely. It's a, it's a great idea. And it's a, like I say, you're doing really well with it. I won't keep you too much longer, Adriana, because I know you're, you're, a busy, you're a busy person. So for anyone who is looking to connect, invest, or, or any of the above, where, where is best to find you? I know we talked about your social media and how active you are. So take it away. Yeah, yeah no, so, so Instagram's probably the best place because you can kind of get access to all the videos to exactly what we're working on and then there's some links in there as well which will take you obviously to join the mailing list which is where access comes for our deals and also book a call i am quite booked out on calls <laughs> but uh the, there is the availability are on there brilliant well thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure and a joy to speak to you um and i look forward to see what you do in 2024 now like you say it'd be good to meet up and do some content together and and, and see some of your projects and yeah 100 percent yeah, let's make it happen. Not perfect. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. No problem. Thank you very much, Adriana. All the best for 2024. Thank you.